Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And uh, Father, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. You're working all things together for our good. And you're giving choices to people. Lord, we pray that you give grace to those who are your elect, Lord, to make the correct choices in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to do Apostate Church Witchcraft Number 2. And this first article is by myself, The Fall of Babylonian Religion. You know, it's very obvious now that our Father has raised up a beast kingdom as a demolition crew to tear down or burn down all the wood, hay, and stubble built on the foundation of Christ which is, of course, all of man's works, and that's a considerable amount. And you can be sure that everything built on the shifting sands of this world will go, for everything that can be shaken will be shaken, according to the word of the Lord. In a vision, I was standing on a mountain and looking down the mountainside, and I saw a construction crew coming up the mountainside, putting up the big metal power poles for high-voltage power lines. And then I looked down beside me on the ground, and I noticed a very old, emaciated-looking cow lying there. Some of you probably remember this revelation. It it looked as though it was about to die. Uh, Next to it was a very large baby boy, that I knew had been born from that cow. Next, I saw a front-end loader come and scoop up the cow and carry it away. Hmm. I picked up the baby, uh, walked over, and got on an escalator. And as we were going up, I noticed a woman next to me with a normal-sized baby. And uh, looking at my baby, she said, that looks like a real baby boy. So watching the front-end loader carry away the cow, I said, yeah, I wonder how that's possible. Well, it is, and it's happening. And uh, then the scene changed, and I was walking into a minister's conference, and all the famous religious leaders of the United States were there a famous minister who everyone knows and who I felt represented a generation of ministers, walked over and handed me some papers. Then the Lord said to me, this is his propaganda about what he has accomplished. I would say this is the wood, hay, and stubble in most cases. If we've uh, accomplished anything, it's by God's power and according to his will and uh, grace 
for a man can receive nothing except it come from heaven. So God gave me the interpretation in my spirit. The power lines are the power of God coming to faithful Christians in the kingdom represented by the mountain. <clears throat> the power will not come until the old cow, the Babylonish religious system of men, are moved out of the way. Just as new wine cannot be put in old wineskins. I was told that the old cow was the golden calf, now come to full age and passing away. And in Exodus 32 and 4, speaking of the golden calf, they said in Hebrew, This is thy God. God here is the literal, uh, is Elohim, just as it is in verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God. Aaron proclaimed a feast to the Lord in verse 5. And Lord here is in the literal uh, YHWH from what some people call uh, Yahweh, which is adding to the words, actually. In other words, they were calling the golden calf Elohim and Yahweh. Or Y-H-W-H. They were giving God's name to a false god. So as far as you go astray from the word of God, of course your God is not the same God. We're warned in the last four verses of the book not to add to or take away from the words of the book under penalty of a curse. And that's the reason, because the, you have to have the real Jesus, the one created by the Bible in your heart, right? So they were giving God's name to this false God. And uh, let me just say that if you've been sold on a Jesus that looks different from the Jesus of the Bible, guess what? You are worshiping the golden calf, the old cow. The old cow is another Jesus as Paul called it in 2 Corinthians 11 and 4. He was uh, the Egyptian Baal, the false virgin birth son of God from Babel. And you will take on the image of the Jesus that you follow, according to 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So whatever... Jesus you have in front of your face, that's the one you're going to follow. Okay. Hence, the old cow represents those who have taken on the image of a false Jesus. And as this old cow is being moved out of the kingdom, the greater works will be manifest through the true disciples of Christ, represented by the power lines, the high power lines. Right? Uh, the greatest beast army the world has ever known is about to come against what is thought to be the kingdom of God by a lot of people. Um, they are the construction crew that will move the Babylonish cow out of the way. A remnant baby will come out of this cow and come to maturity, which is Zion, as in Jeremiah 53 through 12. 
The escalator represents the rest, the ceasing from our own works. This is the whole problem with the Babylonian system. It's man's works. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It has to be burned. Um, and that's as in Hebrews 4, 10, and 11, this ceasing from our own works through faith in the promises according to Hebrews 4 and 13. Um, you do not walk upon an escalator. You just rest. God's land of rest is standing on the promises as God told Joshua. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, to you have I given it. Joshua 1 and 3. Jesus taught us that everything we pray for, we are to believe we have received it, and we shall have it, as in Mark 11 and 24. And if you believe that, that you have received, you will cease from your struggles and anxiety to bring it to pass, according to 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And also Hebrews 4 and 3 says, For we who have believed do enter into that rest. And this is a ceasing from our own works because the works are already accomplished by God. And we just believe we have received them. And then we watch God do it, either through us or through others around us or whatever. And for instance, if we ask God to deliver us from some sin or sickness, as in 1 Peter 2.24, or some other curse, as in Galatians 3 and 13, we must believe that we've received since these promises are all past tense. Well, notice, bear our sins is there, were healed is there, uh, redeemed us from the curse are all past tense. Um, Ephesians 2 and 8 in the original Greek says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. It's past tense. You can rest in the Lord. You can rest that you have everything that Jesus is to you. He is your faith. He is your holiness. He is your Redeemer. He is your sacrifice. And if you have been saved, then you are saved. <laughs> the word saved here in the Greek word is uh, sozo and is translated made the whole. What does this look like when you're whole? Well, it looks like Jesus, right? Because you're putting the Word of God, who is Jesus, in your heart to recreate Him in your heart and in your life. And this is as in Luke 8 and 48 and some other places. Made thee whole, sozo. You're saved. That's not just your spirit man. That's your spirit, soul, and body. He's made uh, provision for all of you, Right? And obviously, being healed is part of being saved, spirit, soul, and body. It's also saved in circumstances, like in Matthew 8 and 25, and in deliverance, as in Luke 8 and 36. The saved covers deliverance from sin and its curses, and you have been saved at the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. 
and I have overcome the world. By this rest, the baby will come nearer and nearer to God, represented by the escalator. And this will bring protection in the days to come through promises like Psalm 91 or Psalm 125 or on and on. The cow does not even believe in the protection and blessing of the secret place of the Most High, Psalm 91. The cow eats grass, which Peter said was flesh in 1 Peter 1.24. They partake of a fleshly knowledge of the Word and a fleshly wisdom that's passed down to them through people who have not matured themselves. And it represents a fleshly understanding of the word. The cow only feeds milk, which we are told is being without experience of the word of righteousness. In other words, they're a hearer and not a doer. Okay? So in Hebrews five thirteen and 14, and it also represents being without spiritual senses. God showed me concerning the ministers' conference that they were the bulls of Bashan who had been sowing their seed in the cow. Yeah. And uh, Psalm 22, 12 and 13 is a prophecy of the religious leadership represented by bulls in Jesus' day uh, in verse 1 and 16 and 18 who opposed his leadership. Yep, you could tell who they were. They opposed everything Jesus did. They were jealous, uh, angry that he was taking away their people. They thought they were their people. And they still think that today. The disciples were the new church leadership. The true disciples are going to be given a new leadership like those who followed Jesus out of Babylonish Judaism as is shown in Isaiah 1 and 26. God gave the Old Covenant, but at the time of Jesus, they had corrupted it into a respect for men and traditions instead of the Word. Uh, Christianity has repeated this history. Jesus came to make disciples. The Greek word is mathetes, meaning learners and followers of the Word, and lead them out of apostasy. Uh, ministers are supposed to be doing the same thing, making disciples of Christ, not of themselves, not demanding that everyone believes what they believe because their knowledge is immature, right? So that way only people can only come to the revelation of their knowledge and the Jesus of their knowledge. So that's why we have to make disciples of Christ. Get them to read the Word, study the Word, and do the Word. True disciples will hear no other voice but His, according to John 10 and 3 through 5, 8 and 31 and 32. And you might say, I would like to bring healing to this old corrupt religious cow. A lot of people do that. They think they can do that. But you should read Jeremiah 51 and 9. And it says, We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go, everyone, to his own country. For her judgment reacheth unto heaven, 
and is lifted up even to the skies. Forsake her, brothers and sisters, and dwell in the promised land. Live on his promises. Receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, as in Hebrews 12 and 28. And come out from among them, and be ye separate. It says Second Corinthians six fourteen through 18, and many other texts. Okay, I'm going to share this revelation about diaper changes. <laughs> it's anonymous. 2923. I had a dream that my husband and I, about 20 to 40 other people too, were sent on a journey walking through towns and various places, but we were not to stay in one spot. Well, staying in one spot, uh, we shall see, is staying in the church denominations with no growth, uh, no personal growth. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're only passing through. Our home is heaven. And First uh, Chronicles uh, 29 and 15 says, For we are strangers before thee and sojourners. As all our fathers were, our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is no abiding. And First Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There are those who grow up, for they are always seeking for truth, so they keep moving. Many of these people, they move from an old line denomination to a more spirit-filled experience in, in another setting. And then realizing that th there is more, they keep looking. A lot of people have this experience, keeping looking for truth, studying the Word, realizing what the original church looked like, and knowing that we can't add to or take away from that, according to the curse of the last four verses of the book. So we were all adults, and each of us were wearing their own diaper. Wearing a diaper represents not being able to cleanse self yet, right? Except a few people who were not wearing them. They would change everyone else's diapers. Yes, we have experiences like that, that there are people who just do not want to mature. Those who are mature help the younger believers by teaching them how to cleanse themselves with the promises in the Word. Ephesians 5 and 26 says that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of the water with the Word. In Hebrews 10 and 22, let us draw near with a true heart in fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and having our body washed with pure water. My husband's and my diaper were both pink and shimmery. Hmm. Pink means love and shimmery means glistening uh, in the reflection of the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, this person says. But everyone else were different, darker colors. Clothing represents our works. 
she says, and others were still in unclean works of the flesh. True, true. As we journeyed, we experienced so many different trials and persecution, and I felt it was all a test for us to see how we would react and handle each situation. And not only that, it weeds people out along the way who are not totally committed. You know, a little persecution, they go back to the world, right? So people randomly would mock us or drive us out of the places where we were. And I kept hearing that this is a trial and to stay calm and to not worry. Well, this, this is the life of believers who follow Jesus and experience the sufferings of persecution, like Second Timothy 3 and 12 says, Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In 1 Peter 5 and 7, Casting all your anxiety upon him because he careth for you. And Philippians 4 and 6, In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Amen. So, she said, after about two days of wearing these diapers, my husband and I grew out of ours, so we didn't have to wear them anymore. Praise be to God. This is the normal Christian life here, right? And as we continue to obey Jesus... You know, in our trials, you and I, we uh, learn what he wants and how to cleanse ourselves of our past and uh, religious ways and, and quickly grow up. Second Thessalonians 1 and 3 says, for, for that your faith groweth exceedingly and the love of one of you all towards one another aboundeth. 1 Peter 1 and 22, seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto the unfeigned love of the brethren. Love one another from the heart fervently. And uh, John 15 and 3, already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. So we know that the original word is the thing that actually cleans us up, right? not men's additions to it or subtractions from it. John 17 and 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Therefore, you're making disciples of Christ, who is the word, right? Not disciples of ourselves. But all the other people still wore theirs, and since we were no longer wearing a diaper... We had to help all the others change theirs because they were unable to do it by themselves. So we were happy to help the others, and we understood because we had uh, to wear them before. Well, as we overcome the flesh and learn and grow, we can teach others how to use the promises of God to cleanse themselves. Right. And John 13 and 14 says, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, 
but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And 2 Corinthians 7 and 1 says, Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Well, we can cleanse ourselves. We know from this word of flesh and spirit, and that could mean your spirit or it could mean evil spirits perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And we also learn uh, compassion, and we show mercy to others, not judging the younger ones, because we remember that we were babies in the Lord too. And we are then able to comfort and minister to others. Second Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, uh, The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort them that are in any affliction. And through the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Amen. So we just pass on what we've received, right? If you haven't received it, you got no right to pass it on because it's not going to be right. Some people think they can go to Bible school and come out and they're ready. But the Bible says, He that overcometh will I give authority. It's you that has to overcome first. Your flesh has to be conquered first, right? So much time had passed and we had gone through many different towns. The towns represent other congregations of people where we share the gospel. Amen. And the only food that these adults in diapers wanted to eat was fast food. Fast food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) Well, fast food uh, represents uh, quick food, like a short sermon, or processed food with little nutrition, and possibly prepared using the letter of the Word without spiritual revelation. And all of this means uh, feeding the flesh. Uh, Fast food tastes good. It's made to taste good. It's not necessarily made to be nutritious, right? And preachers like to make food that's uh, pleasing to the people. They call it ear-tickling preaching, right? Preachers in, in diapers can't help. So this is not enough to feed the spiritual man who needs the Word to grow and mature. In Proverbs 4 and 22, For they, uh, that's the Word of God, are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. In Third John 1 and 2, Beloved, I pray that in all things thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Well, we know that people that continually do uh, fast food, uh, they don't look healthy. Have you noticed? And many of them are overweight because of the chemicals they put in the food to do that. Well, they refuse to eat homemade sandwiches or food that we would make at the motel. They didn't want to eat anything healthy or fresh, but only fast food. 
and they would go out of their way to get it. They insisted that we always stay in an area that had a fast food restaurant, and if it was not convenient or available in our travels, they would freak out (laughs) and refuse anything else. Well, this represents desires to only satisfy the flesh and, and not the spirit man, not to make a healthy being, right? These adults... Uh, in the diapers were always complaining and very demanding with their needs, uh, although they could do everything for themselves, but they wanted us to do it for them. Yep, you all know people like that. Some people never grow up always expecting others to do the work for them, and such is the apostate church system where They expect the pastor to feed them uh, a few scriptures on Sunday, and that makes them happy. And they never grow up past the milk to learn more um, uh, or overcome in the trials and grow up past their denominational um, system, uh, like the exhortations for the churches in Revelations 2 and 3. Notice those exhortations. And 2 Timothy 3 and 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth is, in some cases, uh, uh, nothing left out. That's what it actually means, the original word. And uh, the sum of thy words is truth. So we must seek it out for ourselves because no denomination teaches uh, everything the Bible says. So um, first, uh, Second Timothy 3 and 7 says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, seeing that you are become dull of hearing. And that's from the fast food diet, right? For when by reason of time you ought to be teachers, you have need again that someone teach you the rudiments of the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of solid food. For everyone that partaketh of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for full-grown men, even those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Amen. She went on to say, All the other adults who outgrew wearing diapers got annoyed with the people still in diapers and didn't want to change them anymore. So they all left. And my husband and I were left alone to change their diapers and to look after them. Well, we're called to come out from among them uh, when we've outgrown the denominations and realize that we can't help those who don't want to change, uh, meaning repent. And Second Corinthians 6 and 17 and verse 18 Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 
We felt bad for them and wanted to help them come out of their diapers and for them to be able to take care of themselves. We, of course, want them to grow up and we and to come out of the apostate churches like the first disciples did so they can mature into the image of Christ. And she went on to say, We kept trying to encourage them all to stay calm and be at peace through all their trials and to have joy no matter what happens. Everything is better. But they ignored all advice and kept complaining in all of their trials. Proverbs 13 and 18 says, Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth correction. In Proverbs 22 and 15, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And 1 Corinthians 10 and 10 says, Neither murmur ye as some of them murmured and perished by the destroyer. My husband and I were constantly on call with the diaper changing and were always uh, woken up multiple times each night as we were the only ones left on call to help these people. Well, you know, the Bible says take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, it's an offensive weapon. You have to fight. If you sit on your sword, you are cursed, according to the Bible. You have to fight. Individuals have to fight. You have, If you're a believer, then take up your sword and come against your enemies. So, the fast food diet makes one weak in their walk and slow to understand, and they don't grow up to overcome fleshly distractions. And she goes on, Whereas we just wanted to continue the journey and to keep focused and not stop for meaningless things, many times we felt to just continue the journey alone as it would go much quicker and be a lot more enjoyable alone, not having to deal with all these people's problems. Here's one thing. You have to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have to grow up ourselves before we can help other people. And that's this journey that they're on, right? If people don't want to go on with you, don't let them hold you back. Continue on. And it's better to leave than to continue with those who refuse to listen. We're commanded to leave them and follow Jesus. Judgment is coming to the apostate churches to motivate them with the fear of the Lord. Mark 9 and 19 says, And he answered them and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Yes, it's a pain <laughs> when you have to keep explaining yourself and explaining the words, you know. Uh, Psalm 45, 10 and 11 says, Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So will the king desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord. Reverence thou him. And she went on with the revelation. She said the people kept wanting to stop in certain towns 
for long periods of time to just relax, which we did not want to do, but because we were outvoted and the people complained so much, we had no choice. See, but you're you're uh, you're not growing as you do that, you know. And uh, of course, we're running a race against time to bear the fruit of Christ. Many want to stop and settle down in a church denomination, and many eventually die there. Proverbs 16 and 25 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And as you know, Proverbs speaks about the harlot that wants to capture people, and they do. Well, the people always wanted to stop in playgrounds and play around, which we felt was a waste of time. But because they all wanted it, we had to stand and watch them all play on the swings and the slide. (laughs) The slide is downward, right? And uh, many are deceived by their doctrines and traditions of religion and just want to play church, believing that they're saved and and have no motivation to go any further in Christ. These children are like the Israelites who tested God in the wilderness, but he was not pleased with them, and he and they perished in the wilderness. And 1 Corinthians 10, 5-7 says, Howbeit with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were for our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Mm -hmm. She said a few of them uh, complained that we uh, never go on the playground with them, so we went up this, this huge high tower which had a slide. The high tower, I believe, is the Lord, who is our place of safety in heavenly places. And she said, while up there, we decided to encourage all of them to grow out of their diapers and share with them how amazing it is to not have to wear a diaper anymore. And life is much better without it. We didn't force it on them, but lovingly encouraged and testified of our experience. Every single one of them spoke about how they are comfortable in the diaper and happy with it, and they don't want to change. This is the way it is in the Nicolaitan era, you know. People just want to leave everything up to the preachers, right? You, you, You just come tell us how it is, right? We don't want to study it for ourselves, so this is how many of the churchgoers are in denominations. They don't want to change, and they are comfortable with their traditions and easy, flesh-pleasing doctrines, and they never grow up in Christ. She said, this really confused us, as we know it's not fun wearing a diaper, and it honestly was a giant burden on us having to change everyone's diaper all the time even though they were adults and should easily learn to look after themselves. My husband and I 
slid down the slide, disappointed that they were all comfortable staying in diapers. There were not enough people to change all of these diapers, and this job was a giant burden on us, especially because they didn't want to change. Well, in other words, they don't want to be free of the waste of the old life. They don't want to leave it behind, as we're ordained to do. So that night, my husband and I were talking about maybe we should just run away from them and continue the journey on our own. But then someone called out in need of a diaper change, and I woke up. (laughs) Well, you can uh, share the word with them and your testimonies to encourage them to leave the waste behind. But unless they have ears to hear and it's their time, you're wasting your time there with them. And we're long-suffering with the immature, but eventually the righteous need to obey Jesus and follow him out and not look back. All right. Okay, here's a revelation we called Daughter of the Harlot. And this was given to Winnie Asakeda, 313-22. I was with my friend on a train in the New York City subway. This is a friend of mine whom the Lord has been warning to come out of the current denomination false church that she is in. There was a very dark-skinned, overweight woman riding the subway as well. She represents the church. She is dark-skinned and overweight because the Lord is using her as a parable for walking in darkness and full of flesh or self or even demons. I didn't know her, but my friend Vanessa knew her. She was apparently Steve Harvey's daughter. Steve Harvey is a celebrity and self-proclaimed Christian but is very carnal and worldly. Uh, He could represent a false Jesus and Christianity that is very prevalent, but looks nothing like the true Father in the Word. He also says there are many ways to God. Hmm. I could see in a vision uh, the woman's mom who had her with Steve Harvey. And she was also a very dark-skinned lady with a black and white afro. It was divided, black on one side, white on the other. Her mother represents the Mother Harlot Church, Babylon, who we are supposed to depart from, as the Word says. And uh, the daughter who was riding on the train with us is the daughter of the harlot. The daughters of the harlot are the false denominations or non-denominational denominations, I would say, uh, that come from the mother church. And her black and white afro could represent a mixture of the holy and the profane. Of course, if you dilute it, it's not the same. It will not bring forth Christ, right? 
and after she finished talking to her, my friend told me that the woman wanted her to go to her house, but my friend didn't seem to really like this lady too much, even though she was going to her house anyway. Well, we yes, they all want you to visit their house, right? Um, Vanessa knows that she is not being fed spiritually in her church and that it's not of the Lord, but she is going anyway. The lady didn't seem to like me very much, and I couldn't see that she was studying me closely. I represent true Christianity and a disciple of Jesus, the daughter of Zion. And just like in Jesus' day, the false church and the Pharisees will hate the real Jesus and his disciples. I knew if I went with Vanessa to her house, she would pretend that she was sick so that I couldn't come in. The denominations do not want the real Jesus of the Bible, uh, nor the ones whom Jesus lives in. Vanessa was going to go anyway, even though I don't think she really wanted to. My friend in real life has wanted to leave, but has had a hard time coming out. I believe there could be uh, witchcraft and manipulation involved, but I know she will escape. I could see in a vision the woman's house, and it was a very large brick house, and I could see that she had a lot of pride in it. Well, the bricks are a man-made material made out of clay, and so they are building their own earthly kingdom and not the kingdom of God. They try to impress people with their earthly kingdom to gain followers and church members, but they make the people twice as much a child of hell than themselves, like in Matthew 23. And it was behind a chain link fence. Well, I think that probably represents being in captivity to their false doctrines and bondage to their flesh. Anyway, she went on. The neighborhood didn't look like the best neighborhood, and it was very gray outside. So no sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N at all. Gray represents death, too. At some point in this vision, I could see my friend's brother named Charlie was trying to let a large black dog out from inside the fence. But the door to the gate didn't stay open long enough for it to come out. Well, it's a black dog. It probably belongs there, right? I believe he was trying to help the dog escape. <clears throat> the dog could represent the beastly man in bondage and is not able to escape unless they turn to the Lord, true, uh, which is the real Jesus. Amen. The lady then decided that I could come to her house after all, and I believe she was having hot dogs for dinner. Uh, well, she makes a note, processed man-made food, not the real food of the Word of God, which is Jesus, who is the manna from heaven. 
Jesus said his meat was to do the will of the Father in John 4 and 34. People want to hang out with the milk and hear it over and over and over and over because that's all they can feed, right? Um, but you just don't grow up that way. You have to do it. So uh, having the preacher do it does not count for you. You know, you have to do it. I feel like this lady wanted to show off her large house and seemed prideful about it, but I had already bought dinner for me and Zoe, and then I woke up. By faith, I asked the Lord for a word about this dream, and I received Isaiah 5, 11, and 12. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that uh, tarry late into the night, till wine inflame them, and the harp, and the lute, and the tabret, and the pipe, and the wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither have they considered the operation of his hands. And then when he got this revelation, nine nineteen twenty one, we called, Come out from among them. And it's very good. I dreamt that it was uh, my birthday and we were having a gathering at a large cafeteria for my birthday. <clears throat> and she says a cafeteria is where we are supposed to eat the unleavened word of God. But this was a mixed multitude. Okay, so there were two groups of people there, local UBM as well as a church that Chuck and I were once part of when we lived in North Carolina. When I first walked in, David approached me and took me to the side and put his right arm around me as I was standing to his right and gently spoke into my ear and said that the people had to leave by 1042. So now listen to this, okay? 10 represents the law, uh, like the Ten Commandments, you know. Uh, and in Revelation 11 and 2, the outer court representing the flesh of the temple was to be given to the Gentiles who would trample the holy city, the bride, underfoot for 42 months. You got that? There's a parable in there. Trample the holy city, the bride is the holy city, for 40 and 2 months. And there's your 42, right? And when this crucifixion of the bride is over, the apostates will be gone from her, and the Lord in the man-child will come to her to lead her. The bride is getting prepared to receive her man-child, who is Jesus in a newer corporate worldwide body. Right? This was because Anna had an appointment there with her baby. Okay, so Anna and her baby had an appointment there, and so these people had to leave, right? So David represents the man-child and Anna the bride, in this case, who has borne fruit because she's got her baby with her. 
and uh, which has an appointed time. The mixed multitude has to leave the bride before the coming of the man-child to her, as we have learned. And we have been in this process, and the last ones may have just left. Uh, 1042 represents the time given the bride to bear fruit by the leaving of the last apostates, as you can see. I said, okay, but wondered about the short amount of time that we had to hang out and have pizza. <laughs> well, a mixed assortment of food will be up when the man-child comes for the bride because the mixed multitude like the mixed food, right? I walked further into the cafeteria and I saw UBM on the right and our old church on the left. The sheep on the right and the goats on the left, she said. Well, those who are factioned out are always on the left in our dreams because uh, they're goats, right? At first, the old church's main pastor was on the right as well as his son, but then I saw that they were now on the left side. Well, he was possibly once on the right in the beginning of his Christian walk, but gave in to worldly lusts, which pastors get into a position to have worldly lusts, you know, because they don't obey the rules, uh, and fell into the left, uh, as many do who put themselves into a position of authority when you don't belong there. That's a dangerous thing to do. She went on, I went to say hello to the pastor of the previous church, and he had a very thick black beard, which he does not have in real life, as well as black hair on his head. Well, black-haired represents being submitted to darkness, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? Um, he seemed to be a bit standoffish when I went to speak with him. I then saw his son, who is a man in his late 20s and early 30s, holding a clear and black plastic container. Well, the outer man is a container for the spirit man. Uh, it doesn't inherit the kingdom of heaven, according to the Word of God, uh, but the spirit man does. And um, back here uh, means walking in darkness, right? So, so the black of this container means walking in darkness, but he goes on to say, it had flat wood pieces in it, representing the works of the flesh. The part of the container that was clear represents that his flesh was seen by others. 1 Corinthians three twelve and 13. I mean, we set an example for people. Pastor's sons are supposed to set an example, too. Um, and... When others see that, they think it's okay for him. It's okay for us, right? 
But 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13 says, But if any man buildeth on the foundation of gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and stubble, each man's work shall be made manifest. So the wood is not permissible. It has to go. He was holding it out. So at first I thought he was giving it to me as a birthday gift but then realized quickly that it was for him to play Jenga with some other people at his table. Yes, they love to play. Uh, Jenga is a block stacking game where each person pulls a block out from below until the stack becomes unstable and falls and they lose the game, okay? And I would say that their foundation is unstable. They don't lay a good foundation for a building. The Bible tells us we are building a building. And it has to be a stable foundation. And there's no other foundation to be laid than that which is laid, which is Christ. Right? I began to talk to him about how we would play that game with, with our four-year-old daughter, Zoe. But I again was met with a cold response. (laughs) Like, 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 let's let's leave the uh, games behind to the kids, you know. Um, Like there was no interest in engaging in dialogue with me whatsoever because obviously she didn't think he was very mature. I decided to leave at this point with Chuck, Angelica, Crystal, and India. Angelica said... We needed to go to the next city so that Crystal could get the pasta sauce she had been looking for. The pasta pasta sauce could represent the blood of Jesus. I got in the car uh, with Chuck, India, and Crystal, and Angelica drove in her car to our right. Angelica then calls India on the phone and I can see her from my window speaking to India. And she told India that I was supposed to have received $50 gift cards from them, referring to the previous church, as a birthday gift. Well, 50, I believe, represents the Holy Spirit who came on Pentecost, meaning 50, Penta, 50, Uh, This feast was known as the Feast of Harvest or the Day of Firstfruits. We uh, receive power to be in the Firstfruits Harvest when we receive the Holy Spirit. And 50 also represents a jubilee or freedom from bondage, which you don't have when you stay in the denominational churches. And if a church does not supply this gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a failure, and you should close its doors, you know, and go out. Um, The Lord showed Angelica that they didn't give the gift because they had a spirit of jealousy. Well, they're like that because they only want you to build their kingdom. They don't want you to build God's kingdom. And when you come in there with God's word, you're destroying their kingdom you're like pulling blocks out (laughs) letting it fall right 
So uh, India then passes the phone to me so that Angelica could speak to me. But there was some interference and I couldn't hear her. So did they pick up witchcraft there? They had the false revival spirit below, they found out. So they did have witchcraft there. And you can pick that up in those denominational settings. She said, I was asking her a question that felt very important. I do not remember what it was, but because of the interference, I couldn't make out the answer. So I told her that she could just tell me in person. Well, Babylon is confusion. And we're told to come out of her for that purpose. Just when we were about to end our conversation, I asked her to please call David and let him know that I left, and if he could just have all the people leave. Well, there it is again. All of the people leave. So, the man-child could receive his bride who had uh, born fruit. Hmm. Then Chuck woke me up saying, It's 9.30. Well, the ninth hour was the end of the crucifixion for Jesus, and I would say the body of Christ too. There is a time you have to walk the crucified life, right? The Day of Atonement was on the ninth day of the seventh Hebrew month. So that kind of covers the nine. There's supposed to be an ending of our crucifixion because the old man is dead. Some people never arrive there. Uh, to the extent the old man is dead, to that extent you can grow in 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit because as the outer man's decaying, the inner man's being renewed. Well, 30. Now let's we looked at the nine. Let's look at the 30. 30 is the age when a priest could begin service. Jesus was 30 when he started. The man-child will begin spiritually at 30 when he comes for the bride. I also woke up to Crystal sending me a video of our old church because she wanted to show me that they had let in a false revival spirit. There you go. And I can tell you it will jump on you in those churches. This was definitely not a coincidence. I texted Angelica about the dream, not knowing that she had just asked the Lord for a word by faith and received 2 Corinthians six seventeen and 18. Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. She also was not aware of the dream that I had just had. So that's pretty good confirmation there. I was pondering on the dream and thought about David saying that they had to leave by 1042. I was led to open up the four Gospels and the book of Acts to chapter 10 and verse 42 in each book. Three out of the four Gospels end in verse 42. So that's the end, right? 
get rid of all these people, you're sanctified, right, as a body. Uh, which I do not believe is by chance. Well, the 42nd time ends with the sanctification of the bride of the apostates. Uh, so in this way, it is positive. In other words, when the, the spots and blemishes in the body are removed, the bride is sanctified. And, of course, Jude talks about these people. Matthew 10 and 42, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. There's that 42. And Luke 10 and 42, But one thing is needful. For Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And Mary, of course, sat at the feet of Jesus and grew in his word while Martha was scurrying about, you know, taking care of the flesh. John ten forty one and 42 says, And many came unto him, and they said, John indeed did no sign, but all things whatsoever John spake of this man were true. And 42, and many believed on him there. And Acts 10 and 42. And he charged us to preach unto the people and to testify that this is he who is ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All right, so we have to serve the king, right? Amen. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, and the Lord be with you. And um, Brother Michael is going to come and share with the brethren, too. And, uh, Father, we just ask your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. We believe it and we receive it. Amen. All right. Good night, saints. God bless you. Well, hello, saints. It's a blessing to be with you today. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day that we can all come together and to experience your word. And Father, I thank you for the word that you're going to bring forth this morning. And Lord, I fully expect this word to go forth out to people who are listening and watching. And right now, Father, we bless them when we say in the name of Jesus, your understanding will be enlightened. That, Father, you will greatly and more greatly fulfill your will in the lives of those that are listening. And I bless those who are under the sound of my voice. And I say right now, my desire is that you take pleasure in what takes place here today, my Lord, in the name of Jesus. You know, there's an old saying among charismatic circles that says this, the word without the spirit will cause you to dry up. And the spirit without the word will cause you to blow up. But the word and the spirit together will cause you to grow up. And that's what our intentions are, is to grow people up with the word of God. 
I want to talk about today the Holy Spirit and tongues, and I might make a couple of uh, broadcasts on this. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost was now come. Well, that word Pentecost means 50. And it was 50 days after the Passover, and the Passover was Jesus Christ's crucifixion. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. He's our lamb. He's our Passover lamb that was crucified for us. And Passover has another name. It was the day of the first fruits. And it's real interesting that the first fruits here are being filled with the Holy Ghost. All of them. But not only that, there were 120 people originally waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit. Well, it's good to know that you don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit anymore. Let me read this to you in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, said he, you heard from me. And verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, these 120 people in verse 15 were being obedient, and they were waiting for the promise of the Father. Well, folks, you got to know that you don't have to wait for it now. You, all you have to do is receive it by faith, because it has already been poured out. The Holy Spirit has already been poured out. And the Lord never took the Holy Spirit back. You ain't got the word for it any longer. And you're supposed to receive it by faith. Something else is interesting. The Jews say that Moses was given the law when he was glorified up there on the mountain on Pentecost. Moses was also a first fruit from among the people of God. So the Feast of Harvest, Pentecost, was also called the Feast of Harvest. And it was also called the Day of the First Fruits, Feast of Harvest. That's the first harvest, not the ingathering harvest at the end of the year. Exodus 23 says, but this is the first fruits harvest. So we got these people that the Holy Spirit's upon them so powerfully that they walked in the kingdom of God, even though they walked on earth. They walked in the kingdom of God. And that's what Romans chapter 8 tells us. You're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit if you've received the spirit of God. And that's what it says. All of the first fruits will be filled with the spirit of God. And first of all, to manifest Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits, Ain't going to be done on your own. You have to have God's power. That's what he said in Acts chapter 8. Or, well, I'm sorry, chapter 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. To be what? Witnesses of me, he said. These people were not just witnesses, not just given a witness of Christ. They were a witness of Christ. Their lives were were a witness of Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit that came on them. 
Not like Peter, who denied the Lord after he walked with him for three and a half years. He denied him, couldn't stand up in front of people, and then all of a sudden he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was used to convert 3,000 people with his words. They were bold. All of these people that were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were bold and they were fearless. Fearless. And you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every one of you needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was now come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there's that suddenly, there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing of a mighty wind. That could be the breath of Jesus. You remember when he breathed on the disciples in John chapter 20 and verse 21? And he said this, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive you the Holy Spirit. Then ten days later, the Holy Spirit comes. Now in Acts chapter 2 and verse 3, and I'm going to read this out of the numerics. And tongues and tongues as if a fire being distributed appeared to them and it sat upon each of them. And of course, he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16. Well, I wonder why the tongue would be a fire. Actually, it says in James chapter 3 that the tongue is a fire, but he's using it, James is using it in a negative way. In James 3, he tells us that the tongue is just a tiny little vessel, but it is as powerful as a runner that turns a great big ship, and of course the ship is about our life. The tongue is powerful to turn our life or destroy it. James 3 is impressive with what God says the power of the tongue has. It sets on fire the cycle of life. Or it can be a fire to burn up your old life. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire your tongue has power over the flesh, over corruption, over the things around you. And you know what a fire is? It's a cleansing. Besides, you can look at it negatively, being something that's very destructive in your life, but it also can be very helpful to your born-again life. Because obviously the old man has to decay has to die in order for the new man to be raised up. That's according to what Paul said in Second Corinthians 4. So as the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed. Now you know what decay is, just another form of oxidation. Fire is rapid oxidation. It can burn up the old life. And he goes on to say here in verse 4, and they were all filled Notice that word all, A-L-L, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you'd imagine that if God wanted to give an accurate example here, and that if he didn't offer this gift to everyone, he wouldn't have put A-L-L in there, would he? All filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in tongues. And we know that God's not a respecter of persons, is he? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And we can see all through the book of Acts that they did speak with tongues and it was common. It was the most common gift. In fact, we can't, we cannot prove that they didn't all speak with tongues, but we can pr- prove that they didn't have the gift of tongues along with the gift of interpretation and then the other gifts, which is for the church. But we cannot prove that they didn't all speak with tongues. We've got a lot of examples where it said, and they all speak with tongues. Well, why do we need to speak with tongues? James chapter 3 and verse 3 says that the tongue is a fire. It is a very destructive member of our body that can set on fire the cycle of life. Literally, it says, starting in James chapter 3 and verse 2, If any stumbles not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. Well, why not? If God says that the tongue can bridle a body, let the Holy Spirit pray through you according to the will of God. Look in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In like manner, the, the Spirit also helps our infirmity. For we know not how to pray as we ought. Folks, we don't know how to pray. We're trapped in a body that is in many cases, unless the Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes, that walks by sight in this world. The Holy Spirit sees everything and knows everything. And in like manner, the Spirit helps our infirmity. Now let's continue on. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27, And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit, when he prays through you, he prays according to the will of God. It's talking directly from God to God. He helps our infirmity of being locked in this old body. And he sees everything. He sees the whole picture. And he prays for us according to the will of God. And we know according to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, says this, And this is the boldness which we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions which we have asked of him. Gosh, that's awesome, folks. With the Holy Spirit praying through you, obviously you cannot pray in unbelief. For he always prays according to the will of God. And we always get a prayer that comes out of our mouth that is according to the will of God. How many of you know that's a great gift? Because the Holy Spirit sees our needs and and to pray through us to God according to his will, he'll always answer. Glory be to God. So when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying the perfect prayer to God. And he's always going to answer that prayer. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And it says, we should know we have the petition that we have asked for if we ask anything according to his will. 
So we've got the Holy Spirit. He helps our infirmity in praying through us because it sees the need, the things that we don't know about. And that's powerful. If you could ask God for a gift, that'd be one of the most precious. But you got people out there that say that speaking in tongues is the least gift. There ain't no verse in the Bible that says that. People quote it like it's a verse out of the Bible. And that's from people who have been trained to speak against the Holy Spirit. And in a lot of cases, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do that. Jesus said, basically, that when you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil, you're speaking against the Holy Spirit. Blaspheme means to speak against. So you need to be careful about that because the Bible doesn't say anything negative about tongues other than it does say that tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. And if it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, how many of you know God doesn't give bad gifts to his children? Luke 11 and 13 says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Folks, God only gives good gifts to his children. There are a lot of people who are not asking God for the Holy Spirit. They're trained not to ask God for the Holy Spirit. They're trained that they've received everything that they're going to ever get when they first got saved. And that is a total lie. There ain't nothing that true about that in the scriptures. It's very clear. There's much scripture on that. Another thing with the Holy Spirit praying through us is that he prays through our spirit. He doesn't pray. The Holy Spirit doesn't pray through our mind. He prays through our spirit. How many of you know that you can read a book? You can read your Bible and pray uh, and speak in tongues at the same time because it's not your mind. If my mind is engaged in the Bible that I'm reading, the verse that I'm reading, I can speak in tongues while I'm doing that. It's one of the ways that the Lord shows us that it's not us. Because the devil tells everybody that when they first speak in tongues, you did that. Well, the Bible says they spake in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. He didn't say that they did not speak in tongues but just that the Spirit gave the utterance. The Spirit is using your body, so you're doing it, but that utterance that you're speaking is coming from God. That's what the Bible says. So if you look, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul talked about praying in the Spirit, which is speaking in tongues, Verse 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, he's saying my spirit here, but over here we're seeing that the Holy Spirit is doing this. What's the difference? Well, the difference is that the Holy Spirit prays through our spirit, not through our mind. He says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, your mind is disengaged. Uh, well, in a way, that's that's good. That's a really good thing because prophecy, for instance, is not as pure as tongues. Now, I ain't saying it's, it, it's not a greater gift, but I'm saying that it's not as pure as tongues. The reason 
It's because prophecy is in your own language. And it can be manipulated by your mind and your teachings that, that you've accumulated over the year. There's a mixture there. And he says, continuing in verse 15, I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. So praying in the spirit is not praying with your understanding. If you're praying in the spirit, you don't know what you're saying. But the spirit does and is praying according to the will of God. In fact, it's a real good thing that you don't know what you're saying because if you did know what you were saying, you could, you could, uh, manipulate it by your mind. Just like prophecy can be, can uh, be manipulated by your mind. Now, if you go over to Jude chapter 20, you can see what he says. Jude 20 says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what praying in the Holy Spirit is, is praying in tongues. It builds up your faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Why would he tell all these people that if they all couldn't do it, he didn't say some of you, or the ones that can't, and we don't see that example in the book of Acts either. And continuing on, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy, and so on and so forth. It builds up. I want to tell you what uh, tongues does too. They've done some scientific experiments on people who speak in tongues, and they found out that if you speak in tongues for 30 minutes, you'll get anywhere from 30 to 60% of your immune system built up. And if you do it for nine, for a uh, hundred minutes, you'll get over a hundred percent of your immune system built up. That's a, that's a scientific fact. Now let's go on. Acts chapter two and verse four. And they were all, notice what it says. It says all here filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speaking in his own language. Now, actually, the word there is tongues instead of language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why? Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Paphilia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Interesting. Some people say the tongues we hear today are not scriptural because those songs were used to speak to the people. Well, I've seen that happen. I speak in tongues. And I've never seen anybody who didn't speak in tongues speak to somebody in their own language in this way. It's only the people that do speak in tongues that do this. So how come 
you would take the word of somebody who doesn't speak in tongues that this is the only method that the Holy Spirit uses when speaking to us. And that's ridiculous. Because in the whole rest of the book of Acts, they didn't know what they were saying. And nobody else understood what they were saying either, unless somebody was there that had a gift of interpretation. So they take this little part out and they say, you see, that's not a scriptural gift of tongue. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. You see, sometimes it does work that way and other times it don't. I want to write, relate a story to you from uh, Terry McGinley about tongues. There was an elderly lady at a church, she said, that I once attended that had the gift of speaking in tongues. And she began speaking out loud after my friend who wanted to be saved went forward. My friend was sitting in a pew right in front of the lady and understood every word she said. God had interpreted it for her. She had never experienced tongues before, nor interpretation. She could hear that it was an unknown language, but yet was able to understand it. At the time, she was so shocked at what the woman was saying that she forgot to be shocked that she had been able to understand it. She turned around after the service and asked, How did you know all that stuff about me? Well, the two had never met, far as they knew. The woman replied that she had no idea what she had been saying. Well, that proved to her that speaking in tongues was real and that the Holy Spirit had definitely done it because the woman had spoken to her in a personal way about things that could not have been known. She knew that the Lord had used this lady to speak to her and that the Lord knew her, loved her, and was calling her to repent and come to him. You know, everything that happened in the book of Acts is going to happen again. Even Jesus passed through the midst of people that wanted to kill him. How did he do that? Well, it's probably translation. It's kind of like how we all get gifts. Each one of us has been given several gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. But God can manifest any of those gifts through us at any time that we need them. It's just that for the most part, for the benefit of the body, we're probably going to have just one or two or, or three of them. Now we'll look at this in a minute. So this does happen today. This thing of people hearing in their own language, this gift that is spoken through the saints that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me go back to this A-double-L thing, all, in chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the exhortation there in Jude to pray in the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 14, that that was speaking in tongues. Now we've got other examples in the book of Acts where they all received the Holy Spirit. For instance, in Acts 10. And that's when Peter went to teach Cornelius. You all remember the story. Cornelius was a devout man and he feared God. He gave alms and prayed to God always, and God heard his prayers. And then an angel had him send Peter to come and tell them how to be saved and so forth. And Peter, meanwhile, got a revelation in a trance that he was to go with the men 
that were sent to bring him to Cornelius and his household. So Peter knew and was prepared, prepared that he was to go into a Gentile's house and preach to him, which he did. And it says in verse uh, 44 in Acts 10, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the, circum, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Well, how'd they know they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Because they heard him speak with tongues, and they were magnifying God. And if you'll notice, it says it was all of them. Again, is God a respecter of person? No, he's not. Then Peter answered in Acts chapter 10 of verse 47, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Well, the apostles had learned that when people speak in tongues, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I knew from their own experience that, and they knew from other experiences that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go into a church and they don't believe in speaking in tongues, I'm going to tell you what you're not going to find there. You're not going to find there. Unless there's a person there that speaks in tongues, you're not going to find any other of the gifts of the Holy Spirit there either. None of the gifts of the Spirit are going to be there. And in general, if you go into a church where they do believe in tongues, you're going to see the other gifts there. And if you go to a church where they don't speak in tongues, you're not going to see the other gifts there. They might tell you that their pastor is prophesying because it's anointed preaching, but that's questionable too. Because I've listened to a lot of what's been called anointed preaching. It didn't come close to what the Word of God says. So what they're trying to do is drag the gifts down onto man's level. Or else they'll just tell you flat out that they've been done away with. Now notice in Acts chapter 11 and verse 1 what it says. Now the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou went in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Well, then Peter began to explain himself, relaying the whole series of events that led up to him preaching to the Gentiles, and then them receiving the Holy Spirit. And he says down in Acts chapter 11 and verse 15, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, even as on us at the beginning. Well, how did it fall on them in the beginning? They all spoke with tongues. Verse 16, And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If then God gave unto them the like gift, as he did also unto us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see where he's going with it? 
Now let me share something with you. When we believed in that verse 17 is false, it's actually who had believed. And that makes a big difference in the word of the, of the, of the Lord. You know why? Because some people think that you automatically get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. There's two words that King James put in there that are wrong. Even my Bible is wrong. ASV, but the numeric Bible got it right. It says, who had believed? As he did also give unto us who had believed. When did the apostles believe? They believed a long time before they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was I that I could withstand God? Well, in other words, he was using a proof that God had accepted these people because they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Then let's continue on in verse 18. And when they heard these things, they accepted the proof, obviously, because they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also hath God granted repentance unto life. You know, the Bible says in Acts that he gave the Holy Spirit to them that obeyed him. There's a lot of people who didn't obey him and they didn't receive. That's in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to them that obey him. You know, there's a lot of the church out there that's stubborn and rebellious, just like the Pharisees were. They weren't going to receive the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. There was a major division between the people of God who were the Jews at that time. Just such a major division is coming in the church again because history just keeps on repeating, doesn't it? The disciples who were at Jerusalem, the apostles who were at Jerusalem, received it because they had received the Holy Spirit as well. They had spoken in tongues too. So they knew that they had received the Holy Spirit. Now, actually, I think we'll start where Apollos had been administering the word, starting in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Let's go there. Acts 18, 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by race, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, knowing only the baptism of John. Well, obviously he did come into the baptism in the, in the name of Christ, which is spoken of in Acts 2. He had missed out on that somehow, but he had received the baptism of John. He understood accurately who Jesus was. And it says that he was a true believer, starting in verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him out to them and expounded unto him the way of God more accurately. And when he was minded to pass over into Achaia, Achaia the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to receive him. And when he was come, 
He helped them much that had believed through grace. For he powerfully confuted the Jews, and that publicly shown by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So we got here a disciple of Christ who was a strong believer that hadn't received the baptism in the name of Jesus yet, but was still under the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance, which was good, but it didn't have the faith of being baptized into Jesus Christ yet. Then over in Acts chapter 19 and 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found certain disciples. What well, is talking about disciples here. Since he didn't say anything else, we know that he's talking about Christian disciples. Although they had missed out on something too. Verse 2. And he said unto them, <clears throat> Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said unto him, Nay, we did not so much as hear whether the Holy Spirit was given. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So they hadn't yet received the New Testament baptism either. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And it didn't say anything like that about Apollos, which leads you to believe that he had already received the Holy Ghost because he didn't ask him. He had that power to confound the Jews, to teach it accurately, and on and on. He just hadn't been baptized. But these people not only had not been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet either. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is, on Jesus. Well, of course they were disciples, so they already believed on Jesus. They just hadn't been baptized yet. Verse 5, And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Again, it doesn't say that some of them spake with tongues. It says they all spake with tongues and prophesied. And this was 12 men, just like verse 7 says. 7 says, and they were in all about 12 men. Again, they all spoke with tongues. That doesn't sound like what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 30. Do all speak with tongues? That was a question. So we're batting a hundred so far. They all spoke with tongues. So we're talking about how people who do speak in tongues know the difference between the gift of tongues, which is for the church, and the personal prayer language that's given to everyone that's baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now notice that nobody in the book of Acts has asked for an interpretation yet, but in 1 Corinthians, it was demanded that they give an interpretation or be quiet in the church. Nobody's asked for an interpretation yet. And I might add that one of the first things that they wanted to know from these people was whether they had been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. After they believed in Jesus, they wanted to find out, out about them. You know why? Because if they didn't receive that, 
they were missing out on part of the covenant. Did you know that the covenant includes that? Yeah, it does. Ezekiel 36. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on part of God's covenant for you. He never ordained that anybody be not ordained with the power of the Holy Spirit to live in our, this Christian life that he's given us. The promise of the covenant is in Ezekiel 36 and 24. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you into your own land. That's true of us. All of us Christians, we have come into our own land. And you know what it's called? It's called Israel. We've been grafted into the olive tree of all Israel. Now for them, it was a physical land. But for us, it's a spiritual land. Verse 25, and I will sprinkle clean water upon you. That's the scriptures. And you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. You hear what he said? A new spirit. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. You know, if you'll notice, they put a capital S there. They obviously thought they were talking about your personal spirit and the Holy Spirit. So let's continue. And cause you to walk in my statutes. You see, you need power to walk in obedience to God. And you shall keep mine ordinances and do them. Now, again, I want to point out that just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're obeying the Holy Spirit. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the power to do it. He says, a new spirit and my spirit. And in Romans 8, we see the same thing. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't even belong to him. Romans 8 and 11 says, but if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he gives life to your mortal body through his spirit which dwells in you. There's a difference in the spirit of Christ, which is your born-again spirit and the Holy Spirit. You need to have a born-again spirit of Christ and you need to have the Holy Spirit. Let me point out something else. Some people say, well, I don't know. And they received it in Acts chapter 8 and it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. Well, it's true that it doesn't say that. But do they have to say it every time? In Acts 8, let's read that. Something supernatural happened there. And I can tell you that if you walk into many of the churches today, ain't nobody there going to be able to tell if somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit unless they read it in their doctrines. Most of them say that you automatically get it, which is ridiculous. It doesn't fit the scriptures and it doesn't fit this text here either because verse 12 says that they believed when Peter preached good tidings. They were believers concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. And so they believed and were baptized, both men and women. And Simon also believed. That one, We're talking about Simon the sorcerer. Acts 8 and 13 says, And Simon also himself believed. And being baptized, he continued with Philip, and beholding signs and great miracles wrought, he was amazed. 
That's the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 14. Now when the apostles that were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only they had been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So why would they have to come down and pray for them if it's automatic? It's obviously not automatic. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. It's a way to keep you from receiving the Holy Spirit. And it's what the devil wants you to believe. The truth is that Peter and John came down and prayed for them after they were believers and had been, had been baptized. Now in verse 17 it says, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. What did Simon see? He saw something visible. Something physical that happened when the Holy Spirit fell on them. And you can go into those churches that say you automatically receive the Holy Spirit and see, you can look around and see that would make you know for certain that somebody there had received the Holy Spirit. What was the common evidence all through the Bible speaking in tongues? Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given and he offered them money because it impressed him. And then verse 19 says, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, thy silver perish with thee because thou hast thought to obtain the gift of God with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right before God. And literally it says in verse 22, Thou art in the gall of bitterness. Simon the sorcerer was a false prophet from that day forth according to history, according to the early church fathers. I think it was Bishop Eusebius and Justin Martyr that told the history on Simon Magus or Simon the Magician, that he traveled from city to city with some mixture of sorcery and Christianity. And then he ran into Peter, according to history, in Caesarea and Antioch. And Simon the sorcerer was using supernatural signs, such as that he would preach to the crowds by being levitated up in the air, according to the early church fathers. When Peter saw him, he prayed and distracted a demon spirit that was enabling him to do this, and he fell to his death. That was the story that the early church fathers told about Simon Magus, that he was a false prophet. But notice, they saw something. There was always a manifestation of the spirit. Why today would it be any different other than the fact that people easily accept this other gospel that leaves the, the speaking in tongues out. Why would Jesus say, for instance, in Mark 16 and 17, and these signs shall accompany them that believe in my name, they shall cast out demons, they shall speak with tongues. Now you've got some versions out there that say new tongues, but actually the numerics say 
There's no such word there. New was added in. It's just tongue. Now you got people in the apostate church say, oh, it's new tongue. When I get saved, I start talking differently. No, it's not. It's, it's using the same terminology just like we looked at in the book of Acts. Just tongue. So why would Jesus say that believers in some versions that signs and wonders will follow them that believe, which is good. Why did Jesus seem to imply that believers could all speak with tongues? Well, I'll tell you, it's been my experience that that's the truth. How can you have them all in chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19? How can all of them speak in tongues? So don't let that devil talk you out of speaking in tongues. It is a powerful gift. It is a powerful gift to let the Holy Spirit pray through you. Why would he have to pray through you? Because God has determined to use us to destroy the works of the devil. And he's determined that with our heart and with our mouth, we confess to the Lord. It's man that fell. It's man that disobeyed and fell because of disobedience. And it's man that's going to overcome and come back into obedience. Jesus spoke in tongues. People out there say he didn't. Well, go back to Mark chapter 15, verse 33 and 34. And I hear that people say that Jesus never spoke in tongues. Yeah, he did. Look at verse 33 in Mark 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at that ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, why were they interpreting? Why would it need an interpretation? Because tongues needs an interpretation. They gave it an interpretation. Eloi, Eloi, Lima Sabachthani, which interpreted is, my God, my God, have you, why have you forsaken me? Jesus didn't speak in tongues. You don't know that Jesus didn't speak in tongues. As the Bible has said itself, everything had been written down here. It doesn't tell you when somebody doesn't speak in tongues. Jesus may have been speaking in tongues all along, but he definitely did it right there because they needed an interpretation. I'll tell you what, tongues happened in the Old Testament too. Turn to Daniel chapter 5. The people are so down on tongues because the devil don't want you to have that gift, and that's why. And they're false prophets. Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. And this is where Belshazzar, that was king of Babylon, he and his queen and the ladies and all the nobles were out there drinking and having a party from the vessels of God that came from Jerusalem out of the temple. This is a type and a shadow when the beast is put to death, the saints in this using of the vessels of God that came from the temple. Now, Daniel chapter 5 and 5 says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Verse 6, Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him. Well, I reckon so so that the joints of his loins were loose and his knees smote one against another. How many of you can get a picture of that? I guess you'd be excited too if you were uh, a sinner 
and abusing the vessels of God, and all of a sudden you get to see the writing on the wall, as they say. Anyway, the king got some advice, and he sent for Daniel, because he knew he had gifts of interpretation. And he said to Daniel in verse 14, I have heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee. Literally, this is Elohim. Talking about gods there. It could be interpreted as the gods, but in this case, it is Elohim. Continuing on. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom were found in thee. And now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. But I've heard of thee, that thou canst give interpretations and dissolve doubts. And of course, Daniel gave all the credit to the Lord. And he warned the king. And in verse 25, it says, And this is the writing that was written. Many, many tickle upharsen. So he told him what was written and gave the interpretation. Continuing on in verse 26. He said, This is the interpretation of the thing. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and brought it to an end. And tickle. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Interesting. This is an interpretation that Daniel received. He received a tongue and an interpretation. And we're also told in chapter 2 of Acts, where they were speaking in tongues, Acts chapter 2 and verse 33. Being therefore by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you see and hear. So the promise of the Holy Spirit was something that you could see and hear. Well, that's interesting. Now you know you, you can't just receive the Holy Spirit quietly and have nobody know about it. If it's done in public, it's going to be seen and heard. Well, what did they hear? They heard the Holy Spirit speaking through them in tongue. That's what they heard. That's what the uproar was about. He was talking about the promise of the Father in verse 33. And he says in verse 39, For to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call unto him. What does that mean? You can have it? Well, it's got to include us too, us and our children. That's what he said. It still doesn't sound like God gives this gift of tongues to some and not to others, that he wouldn't give this to all. Isaiah 28, 9 says, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast? Well, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of the church that doesn't want to leave the milk. Verse 10, For it is precept upon precept, Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Nay, but by men of strange lips and with another tongue would he speak to his people, to this people. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost for one. And then, you know, it's still happening today. We've got the same Pharisees today that are renouncing and rejecting the Holy Spirit today. Verse 12. To whom he said, this is the rest, give you rest to him that is weary. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Did you hear that? They would not hear. 
Is God offering the rest to just some people or is he offering the rest to everybody? Obviously, if we don't want to enter into his rest, we've got no part in his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4. Or chapters 3 and 4. And that's the rest. He gives rest to those that are weary. And that's This is the refreshing. You know, but they could they wouldn't hear. The Jews were not here, and the Pharisees in our day are not here either. And continuing on to verse 13. Therefore shall the word of the Lord be unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go, fall backward, be broken, and snared and taken. And that did happen to him. Verse 14, Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers that rule this people that is in Jerusalem. Those scoffers didn't receive the tongues and the Holy Spirit who spoke through them in tongues. Those scoffers, folks, are still with us today. Bunch of them. I've had people tell me that that isn't talking about the same thing that's in the New Testament. Yeah, it is. Because it's quoted in 1 Corinthians 14. Look at that, 1 Corinthians 14, 21. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers will I speak unto this people. And not even thus will they hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to the unbelieving. He's not talking about unbelievers in Christ. The reason I know that is, that if you go back up to verse 16, else if thou blessed with the Spirit, how shall he that filleth the place of the unlearned say the amen at thy giving of thanks? He seeing, he knoweth not what thou sayest. So the unlearned that he's talking about here is not the people who don't believe in Christ. It's the people that don't know what they're saying. And then, Verse 22, but prophesying is for a sign, not to the unbelieving, but to them that believe. If therefore the whole church be assembled together and all speak with tongues. Now, if it wasn't a possibility, why would Paul say this, that the whole church could come together and speak in tongues? Then continuing on to verse 23. And there come in men unlearned or unbelieving. Will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy, there come in one unbelieving or unlearned, he is reproved by all. He is judged by all. The secrets of his heart are made manifest, and so he will fall down on his face and worship God, declaring that God is among you indeed. And Paul said this. He said, I would have you all speak with tongue, but rather that you should prophesy. First Corinthians 14 and 5. Now, before I get away from it, we should point out that in verse 39, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongue. Forbid not to speak with tongue. But let all things be done decently in order. You know, I've heard people say, we don't want to speak in tongue because that would not be decent in order. Foolish. Just so foolish. Look at the verse. Forbid not to speak with tongue, but let all things be done decently and in order. Decently and in order is in agreement with the word of God. 
If any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him take knowledge of the things which I write unto you that they are the commandment of the Lord. And this is the Lord commanding us to forbid not to speak with tongue and that it would be done decently in order. Well, what's decently in that order? Look at verse 26. What is it then, brethren? When you come together, each one hath a psalm, hath a teaching, hath a revelation, hath a tongue, hath an interpretation. So decently and in order includes speaking in tongues. Just because they're unbelievers doesn't mean that this isn't decently and in order. This is the Holy Spirit's decent and in order. You know why people believe these people when they say that? It's because people don't read their Bibles. That's why. If they read their Bible, they question these people. These are the Pharisees of our day. The overwhelming majority of God's people are deceived by these people. A spirit-filled believer with knowledge of the word is danger to the devil's kingdom. And he knows it. So he's going to do everything he can to keep you from getting filled with the Holy Spirit and especially to keep you from praying in the Holy Spirit so that all your needs will be met. Amen. Praise God. We are out of time, folks. God bless you. I hope to see you again the next time. God willing. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you.